Turning please to Deuteronomy 30, Deuteronomy chapter 30, and we will read the latter part of this chapter, beginning at verse 11, Deuteronomy 30, and the verse number 11. And let us turn to the passage, let's hear the Word of God, and we pray that as we read, the Lord will speak and bless His truth to our hearts in these verses. So, Deuteronomy 30, verse number 11. And Moses is speaking, and he says, For this commandment which I command thee this day, it is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that thou should say, Who shall go up for us to heaven, and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea, that thou should say, Who shall go over the sea for us, and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very nigh unto thee, in thy mouth and in thy heart, that thou mayest do it. See, I have set before thee this day life and good, and death and evil, and that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in His ways, and to keep His commandments, and His statutes, and His judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. But if thine heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shalt be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that ye shall surely perish, and that ye shall not prolong your days upon the land whither thou passest over Jordan, to go to possess it. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey His voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto Him. For He is thy life and the length of thy days that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. And we know that God will bless the, the reading of this word to all of our hearts for His name's sake. I bid you welcome, <coughs> excuse me, to our meeting tonight. We're glad to see all who have assembled here, and to everyone we give a hearty welcome. We welcome those online. We pray that the Lord's blessing will be with each one, and that we'll know His presence and His help as we meet around His Word on this occasion. Please keep in mind the Hannah family circle, member Alan and his wife Claire, and their boys Daniel and Matthew, on the sudden passing of uh, Alan's father, Mr. Sammy Hannah. Uh, I know he was known by many of you in this congregation and he passed away very suddenly just there on Tuesday. And we remember the family at this time and again extend sympathy to them. We trust the Lord will bless all in the family circle in these days of sorrow and grief and, and great loss. Do you remember the word that was preached yesterday at the funeral service? A huge gathering in the church in Rishargan and even a large, large company there at the graveside the family had asked me to preach at the grave, and, and I had that opportunity. 
and I saw many of my own family circle, uh, cousins and so forth, second cousins, all kinds of cousins gathered around that grave and I'd often prayed for the opportunity to be able to preach to some of those people and that happened yesterday in the midst of the freezing conditions and so forth but the Lord was there and do pray that God will continue to use his word for his own eternal glory. So do remember that family please and family circle. Remember our repair fund which is, <coughs> excuse me, is taken up uh, once again today so this evening of opportunity to give to the repair fund in the boxes there on the walls at the doors. And then remember the Reverend Stuart as he begins a week of meetings tonight in Cross Scar. I pray that the Lord will be with him and bless him as he ministers there through to Friday evening. Our own uh, Tuesday night meeting is on at 8 o'clock on Tuesday as regular. And do remember that meeting, please. There's a deputation meeting with the Reverend Ray Kerskadden, who is currently ministering in Koragari, but will soon be moving on from there, having heard and known the call of God for quite some time to go to the land of, of Uganda. And so he will be here on Tuesday night to tell you all about this. And I know it will be very interesting to you to hear how the Lord has led and directed his servant. There will also be a visual presentation, and so we look forward to that meeting. It will be a retiring offering for his support as he goes to the mission field. So uh, keep all those details in mind. Let's have a very good and full turnout on Tuesday night as Mr. Criscadden comes to minister among us. Wednesday night is the monthly session committee meeting at 7.30. Brethren, please take note of that. Thursday morning, the prayer meeting at 7. And again, we're encouraged with people coming out on Thursday mornings, the two Thursdays in the month when we have uh, the morning prayer meetings. So do remember this coming Thursday, 7 a.m. Friday, the open air at 1. Children's meeting at 7 and the Youth Fellowship at 8.15, and our brother Glenn Hamilton will bring the word to the young people on Friday evening. I trust there will be a full turnout. Next Lord's Day, all the meetings at the stated times through the entire day, do remember them and plan to be here as we gather for the Sunday school, the Bible classes, the adult Bible class at 10 also. Mr. Stewart will bring the word there, and then 11.30, uh, I will be preaching, and 6.30, he will be bringing the gospel message all in the will of the Lord. Then please keep in mind that protest that we are planning to have as a presbytery under the Government and Morals Committee, and that will be on the 25th of March, God willing, at 11 a.m. in the morning, outside or in front of the City Hall in Belfast. Uh, Mr. Uh, Dane is organizing this, the chairman of the Government Morals Committee. Reverend Armstrong will preach. There will be a letter that will be read out, a letter that will be given, sent on to the Secretary of State. So remember all of those details. We want a very good turnout from our churches, so please plan to go on that Saturday morning and support that uh, witness there. Uh, can we just remind you again of the details concerning the meeting of the church members on the 28th of March at 8 o'clock that evening, uh, just about two weeks or a little over that away now, so do keep that in mind when the communicant members will meet to uh, appoint or elect additional elders to our church session. 
please check the list there. Uh, it's up to men to do this as you come and go from the house of God. And whatever your feelings might be about that, if you wish your name removed, then you must let us know. Um, we need to get that all sorted out by next Sunday night. So please take the opportunity to have a look there tonight as you leave. And remember that meeting in prayer. Uh, we'll be preaching on it. I'll be preaching on this subject next Sunday morning uh, once again. So do remember us in prayer that the Lord will come and speak and move in hearts for His own glory and according to His own will. Now, there may be those who have already planned to be away at that time, and we want to facilitate such members uh, who would like to uh, exercise their right to vote for new elders. So, uh, we will uh, make that, uh, we're making that known again tonight, that on Sunday the 26th, we can facilitate you if you let us know about this. And then with regard to those who are shut-ins now, but still members of the church and have an interest and want to uh, take part, they can receive an absentee ballot. And so all of that information I want you to know about once again, and uh, any who wish to receive help in these areas, please let us know as soon as possible. In fact, the time is running out, so you need to let us know very, very soon. When that list of eligible male communicant members is finalized, it will be available on Tuesday the 21st at the prayer meeting, or uh, we can email it out to members so that you will have it for uh, a week leading up to the night of the voting. So just to make that clear, that will be available. And this is a practice that we've always followed over elections and years gone by. So those are the details. Please observe them. And we thank you for your attention and for your interest in this, and we trust God's will will be done. We're going to sing together from hymn 261, 261, on page 281. In times like these, you need a Savior. In times like these, you need an anchor. So 261, we'll stand together as we sing, and uh, we'll sing verses 1 and 3. And may the Lord be with us as we sing these lovely words of this hymn uh, in times like these. In times like these, you need a Savior. Be very sure, be very sure, your anchor holds and grips a solid rock. This rock is Jesus. Yes, he's the one, this rock is Jesus, the only one. Very sure, be very sure, your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. In times like these, have a Savior in times like these I have an anchor I'm very sure I'm very sure my anchor holds 
and grips this solid rock. This rock is Jesus, yes, he's the one. This rock is Jesus, the only one. I'm very sure, I'm very sure, by anger holes and grips this solid Well, we'll turn now to our Bibles, to that passage that I read from Deuteronomy chapter 30, and let's open up the Word of God again at that passage. We'll bow in prayer and look to the Lord for help and for His blessing upon us as we come around His Word and His message this evening. Let's all bow together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we wait in Thy presence and at Thy feet, fully conscious of our great need of the Lord's visitation and power. Lord, I cry to Thee for help, help in this pulpit, help to expound the Word of God and bring the message that Thou hast appointed for this season. Lord, I do pray, therefore, for that fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit. Lord, come and breathe on me, come and breathe on the people. Settle as before Thee, still our hearts, arrest our attention, Come, Lord, and shut us in with Thee for a time, and may Thy Son be glorified, may a work be done, may souls be moved, may they hear us for eternity, and may there be lasting fruit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, and for His sake and for His everlasting glory. Amen and amen. I read with you from verse 11 down to the close of this chapter, Deuteronomy Chapter 30, as I remarked, these are the words of Moses as he spoke to Israel at the very stage when they were about to enter into the land of promise. Moses was a unique man for many reasons, one of them being that he penned his own obituary notice, as we find in chapter 34 of this book of Deuteronomy. The details of his death and his burial are fully recorded in that chapter. His age when he died, his physical state at the time of his death, where he was buried, who buried him. All of that information is recorded for us, as already indicated. And this is the remarkable thing, that all of that detail is given to us in a biographical style, as if it was written by somebody else. Now, liberals have raised this point, and they have caviled at this fact. They have alleged that the biographical nature of that final part of the book of Deuteronomy proves that not only did Moses not write the final chapter, but that he did not write any of this book at all. Now, the simple response to that infidelity and unbelief is that Moses wrote his own obituary notice by the inspiration of the Spirit of the living God, just as he wrote all of the rest of Deuteronomy and indeed all from Genesis to Numbers as well by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I know it's unique. 
You or I are never going to write our own obituary notice. But Moses did, and he did in that fashion that I have described. Deuteronomy is one lengthy sermon. That sermon commences back in chapter 1 after the preface. That's in verses 1 to 5. It commences in verse number 6, and it runs right through to the close of chapter 33. In the latter stages of this great discourse, Moses begins to apply the teaching that he has brought to the minds and to the hearts of his hearers. And in that application, he appeals to them. And he does so with directness. He does so with tenderness. He does so even with great poignancy as he pleads with Israel on the basis of what he says to them right through all of these chapters. Indeed, the appeals of Moses in the closing section of Deuteronomy are as passionate as you will find anywhere in the Word of God where the Holy Spirit has recorded sermons of men of God, whoever they may have been. From the 29th chapter and onwards, Moses urges Israel to give very careful attention to all that he has proclaimed. And therefore, these words before us are part of that urging appeal that he delivers. They are striking words. They comprise one of the highest points. I mean, these words we've read tonight, they comprise one of the highest points of the appeal that Moses made is actually a gospel appeal. It's direct with great fervency to the hearts of sinners. These verses here are not a command to give obedience to the laws and the regulations that Moses have presented to national Israel. Rather, they must be seen as Moses' gospel appeal to sinners to obey the way of salvation that is found in Jesus Christ and is revealed by the Holy Spirit in a passage like this to those who read, to those who hear these words. This is a gospel appeal that comes from Moses to Israel in those days long ago. You see, in John 5, verse 46, Jesus Christ tells us, and this is what nails it all down, Moses wrote of me. Moses wrote of me. Christ is the subject of the writings of Moses, including this portion of Deuteronomy. And therefore we can safely and assuredly affirm that in this passage the gospel is most certainly in view. Moses' instruction shows the impossibility of salvation by human effort. What he states and what he says here confines and drives sinners to the remedy of sin that is found in Jesus Christ alone. And that's why I read from Romans 10 as a parallel to what we have here, because in Romans chapter 10, the Apostle Paul is led by the Holy Spirit to quote these very verses, or some of these verses, and to give the sense of what Paul, or sorry, what Moses is saying here, the meaning of what Moses has said to Israel in this very passage. And therefore, again, by the inspiration of the Spirit of God, the Apostle Paul interprets what Moses says here. 
and they interpret it as a speaking of the gospel itself, the great message of salvation by grace alone. And so of this there can be no doubt whatsoever when we understand and when we see what Paul declares to sinners. In Romans 10, through verse, uh, from verse 1 through to verse number 9, it is clear, it is plain, it is a gospel appeal to the sinner to come to Christ and rest in Christ and know Him as Savior and Redeemer. So in these words, Moses concludes the appeal that he makes at this point in the uh, concluding arguments of his great sermon. And there are three facts that he underlines about the gospel that I want you to notice with me tonight as we come to look at these verses. Three facts, three points that are designed to press home the appeal of the gospel to needy sinners, those who are lost, those who are without God, without hope, because they are without Christ. And there are such in this meeting tonight. And here is the voice of a man of God from long ago showing you in point after point why you must heed the gospel, why you must believe in Jesus Christ if you are to be saved from your sin and be delivered from the wrath to come. And my dear friend, that is the most urgent need that could ever be considered. And may God the Holy Spirit press it home to your soul tonight. What are these three thoughts, these three points that Moses brings before us? Number one, the plain character of the gospel. In these verses, there are terms that indicate that the Lord presents the gospel in a very plain fashion. In verse number 11, we see this underlined by this particular section of that verse, verse number 11. It says, it is not hidden from thee. Do you see those, verse, those words in verse 11? It is not hidden from thee. Those words reveal that the Lord does not set forth His truth, the gospel truth, as some kind of an enigma, something that is mysterious, a mysterious formula that is difficult to interpret and difficult to understand. Look again at verse 12 and verse number 13, and you see the very same thing. Those verses are saying that the sinner doesn't have to rise to some lofty height to, or plumb some profound depth when you consider uh, the gospel, when you seek to come to an understanding of the way of salvation. You don't have to do that, Moses is saying here. And that's precisely what Paul says and, and writes there in Romans chapter 10. I'm not turning back to it. Uh, because we read it earlier, but Paul says the very same thing about the way of righteousness, about the way of salvation. It's not something that is beyond you, sinner. It is something that you can understand and see the sense of as you read it. It is not complicated. The gospel is marked by simplicity. The problem is with you, your own dark mind your own unbelieving soul, your own adherence to sin in the world and the things of the flesh and the deceptions of the devil. The problem lies squarely in your lap. There's nothing wrong 
in the sense of the gospel being some kind, as I say, of enigmatic thing that you cannot grasp or understand. Here is the plain character of the gospel. You know, the Bible makes that clear through and through. And we find, therefore, that the salvation of the sinner is something of which God has spoken very simply. And furthermore, He commissions preachers of the gospel to follow through on that and to uh, pursue the preaching of the Word in such a way that people will understand it. For example, in the book of Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse number 2, Habakkuk is told by the Lord to make the vision, the revelation, plain that he who runs may read it and understand it. And then in verse 4 of Habakkuk 2, he tells Habakkuk what he's actually talking about in that great statement, the just shall live by faith. And then in 2 Corinthians 3, verse number 12, Paul refers to this fact that he spoke with great plainness of speech. And I do trust tonight, my friend, that you will see this. The gospel is the divine remedy for sin, and therefore it's a glorious message that presents an unembellished presentation to sinners. It is clear, it is plain, it is straightforward. And we can think about that in various ways as we think of what the gospel actually is, what Moses says here, what other men have to say elsewhere throughout the Bible. It is for even the most young child a message that they can grasp, that they can see, that they can understand. What does the gospel say in terms of its plainness? It tells you that man is a sinner. If you take the writings of Moses, and yes, Moses did deliver the law of God, and in John 1.17, John the apostle writes this, the law was given by Moses. What is the purpose of the law? It is to show a sinner his or her sin. Moses wrote what we have in Exodus 20. There you have uh, uh, the compilation of the Ten Commandments, one after the other, that our children have learned in Sunday school, with which we have grown up. The law of God is there. The, the revelation of the mind of God with regard to His own holiness and man's sin, because it's the law that shows men their sin. If you think about the very scene in, in Exodus 20, it's a, a dramatic scene. It's a, a scene of tremendous uh, revelation of the holiness of God and the glory of God as the Ten Commandments were delivered. First of all, God spoke all Ten Commandments verbally and audibly from heaven. And only then were they written down with the finger of God. And on that mount, Mount Sinai, the whole gathered congregation of Israel heard the voice of God as He spoke the law from heaven. And it was all surrounded with, yes, graphic events, the thunder, the lightning, the smoke, the fire, and the mountain shaking, because God has come down. It was actually Christ who has come down on that mount, as the Bible elsewhere makes absolutely clear. Christ appearing, and Christ coming, and Christ speaking, and Christ through Moses delivering the law. But what's the purpose of the law? 
What is the great end of the law? It's to convince men of their sin. Little wonder Israel's company shook that day and trembled as they heard the law of God being uttered from the lips of the God-man who appeared in one of his great appearances, one of his Christophanies in those times long ago. But Paul tells us this, you see, Romans 3 verse 20, by the law is the knowledge of sin. Romans 7 verse 7, I had not known sin, but by the law. Over and over again, this is laid down. This is spelled out that there's no knowledge of sin without a knowledge of the law that sin transgresses. Because sin is the transgression of God's holy law. And therefore, this is why we need to teach our children the Ten Commandments. This is why in all true gospel preaching, the very first thing really that a preacher must do is bring the sinner to the law. That the law's deep plowing work will rip up the sinner's soul and cause him to feel his sin and know his guilt and come face to face with a holy God. And my friend, that's part of the gospel in this sense. And Paul put it so well in Galatians 3, 24. The law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And therefore, This is an aspect of the plain character of the gospel that man is a sinner and that is seen through the revelation of the law of God that is inseparably connected with the gospel, the message of redemption. You can't appreciate redemption. You will not understand the work of Christ. You will not see the value of His work. You will not in any way grasp why He went to the tree until first of all you actually see the sinfulness of your own nature, the transgressions of which you're guilty, the condemnation that you're under, the hell that awaits you, the wrath that burns eternally, that will engulf your soul throughout those endless ages, and you'll never know anything of all those items of truth until you come face to face with the fact that the law tells you that you are a guilty sinner. Man's offended by that. Man hates that message that he is a sinner. That is why apostasy in churches has brought about the stage and set of circumstances where the Ten Commandments are no longer taught and they're not set before the people. And therefore people think they're fine and they're good and they're acceptable and the very opposite is the true. My friend, the gospel tells you that you're a sinner. But the gospel tells you another thing with regard to the plain character of the gospel. The gospel tells you that salvation is by sacrifice and shed blood. Take Moses. Did Moses write and speak about those matters? Yes, he did. Again, I remind you of John 5, 46. Moses wrote of me. And you go to Luke 24 and you listen to the Lord Jesus on the night when he had risen from the dead 
as first of all he met the two men on the road to Emmaus. He drew alongside of them. They were in desperate need of help and comfort and understanding of what had happened in their lives over the last, over the previous few days. And the blessed Son of God came and he drew alongside. He didn't know who it was. It was the risen Christ. And he saw that they were sad. And he realized their hearts were troubled. And he said to them, why are you so sad? And they made it very well known to the Lord that they hadn't got a clue as to how to explain what had happened to their beloved master. What it all meant. And what did the Lord do that night on Emmaus Road? And I've often put it this way in preaching from that chapter. He took them through what must have been, in fact, actually is the greatest Bible study anybody has ever had the privilege of hearing. Because it says, beginning at Moses, he showed them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then later that night, when those two men went back to Jerusalem and went to the other disciples in the upper room, Christ came again. And you will read from verse 44 to verse 46 that he conducted another Bible study. And he took them right through. And he said, all these things concerning me must be fulfilled. He taught about his sufferings. He talked about his sacrifice. He made it all clear and plain as to what the Old Testament was about. But the remarkable thing is, men and women, and of course, naturally, this had to be the case, he started with Moses, beginning at Moses. He took them from Genesis through to Deuteronomy and on from there to the prophets, all the writings, as they're called, the poetical section of the Old Testament is what is meant. He took them through all of that and he showed them the things concerning him that were found in Moses' writings, David's writings, whoever you care to mention. And therefore he was showing them that salvation is by sacrifice and by shed blood. This is what the sinner needs to hear who's first of all brought to feel his sin, that he is a sinner. The law does that. The law sends the knife deep into the soul. The, the law of God tears away self-righteousness. The law of God shows the iniquity of the human nature. It shows the depravity of man and the wickedness of his transgressions. And then it brings him to the place called Calvary. Brings him to the shedding of the blood. You see, Moses is the one, is the man who penned the whole record of the Levitical system. It was all written and codified by Moses. The entire scope of that Levitical ceremonial system was to show the Israelite salvation is by sacrifice and shed blood. And so Moses wrote about the morning and the evening lands. Moses wrote 
about the offerings and the sacrifices, the burnt offering, the meat offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering, every one of them highlighting some aspect of sin and guilt, but every one of them also highlighting the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then, of course, he wrote about the great day of atonement and all that was to happen on that day, all specifically and graphically laid out. Two goats, one killed and the other led away, a double type of Christ on the cross at Calvary. Because in his death, Jesus Christ propitiated, satisfied God's wrath in his death, and in doing so, he carried away sin and by his own suffering removed it all together from those for whom he died. That's just a selection of what Moses wrote. And therefore, when Moses pleads with Israel here to remember God's Word, when he tells them, as it says there in verse 11, it's not hidden from you, He's saying to them, I've told you about this. I've told you about the law that shows you your sin. I've told you about the remedy in the shed blood. It's the blood that makes atonement for the soul. I've told you all this. The gospel is plain. But you know, there was some, there's a third little thing I want you to think about. Moses also told them that salvation is by faith. And that comes out remarkably in that part of the burnt offering, the burnt sacrifice, where you, you read in Leviticus chapter 1 of the Israelite and he has come to the tabernacle and he has brought his sacrifice and God tells that man to do something as you read those words. And what does he tell him to do? Leviticus 1 verse number 4 says this, He shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering. And the word there where it says, that the words there where he shall put his hand, where it says that, it actually means he shall lean. He pressed down his hand upon the head of that bullock or that goat. He pressed his hand down. Why? He was being taught the great fact that sin is transferred to a substitute, that that substitute would feel the load of that sin, that the guilt of that sin would be imputed to that substitute, and that substitute would feel the awful pressure of being the sin-bearer. And the Israelite would have gone away from the tabernacle telling himself, God has shown me not only that I am a sinner and that salvation is by the shedding of the blood, but He has shown me a substitute who will one day die for me. And in Him I now put my trust. And let me tell you, folks, that's how the Old Testament saints were saved. Not by the animal on whose head they pressed down their hand, but by the Christ who was typified, who was presented and set forth so clearly in the plainest fashion to their hearts and to their minds. And that laying on of the hand, to note it, 
contact with Christ, confession of sin to Christ, but also confidence in Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the step you need to take tonight. God shows you the plainness of the character of the gospel. You're a sinner. Only the blood can save you. And therefore you must come and lay your hand, as it were, upon that dear head that was once pierced as it was crowned with thorns. And the Savior died in the sinner's place. There's the personal, sorry, the plain character of the gospel. But look again here at another point that Moses made was the personal closeness with the gospel. Personal closeness with the gospel. This was true for the Israelites as, as Moses spoke on this occasion. The fact of coming into the closest proximity with the gospel. In other words, brought into the realm of hearing and understanding and being made acquainted with the things of God and the gospel of grace and therefore coming under uh, the, the message being exposed to the gospel on a constant basis. That is what Moses showed these people. As you look at these words, look at the, again there at verse number 11. It says this, For this commandment which I command thee this day, it is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. Notice that. It's not far away. What he's showing is to Israel, you've been favored with this. The truth has been brought right up to you, close to you. You can reach out and touch it as it were. Verses 12 and 13, read them again. It is not in heaven that thou should say who shall go up uh, for us to heaven and bring it unto us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that thou should say who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us that we may hear it and do it. Isn't that describing the fact that the truth has been brought to these people. The gospel has been delivered to them. It's not far away in some remote place. And you see, these words are so powerful. And that's why Paul quotes them in Romans 11 or Romans 10. Because there he's dealing with the whole scheme of man trying to make himself righteous with God. And you see, sinners are doing that all the time. And to try to accomplish that, they will do anything. They'll turn... I don't mean literally, but they'll turn somersaults in their, in their religious observances and in their spiritual uh, application of things. They will go through all the contortions that can be put before them, but all the while, it's a waste of time. That's what Paul's writing about. Men trying to work up their own righteousness. He tells them, as Moses does here, it's close to you. It has been brought to you. It has been revealed to you. You're favored with hearing the Word of God. It is nigh unto you. You don't have to send somebody to try to discover what the gospel is or how you can be saved. It's not hidden from you. It is not far off. My dear friend, I want you to think about that. Sinner in this meeting tonight, the gospel has been brought to you by various people, by preachers. I'm preaching to you tonight. I'm addressing you, sinner. I'm trying to reach your mind. And I'm telling you what the Bible has to say. 
And so it's brought by the preacher. It's brought by the Sunday school teacher. It's brought by the parent. It's given in the gospel tract. Regular Sabbath meetings. And all of these means that God has appointed, this is why we can talk from this pulpit tonight about the personal closeness with the gospel that sinners are privileged to have, favored with being reared and brought up in the gospel. But let me tell you, what a serious responsibility that brings over your soul. You have been instructed time and time again. You cannot say that the gospel is something that is so far away that you've never heard of it. Or it means nothing to you. You cannot say that. Rather, the very opposite is the case. It has been brought right to your doorstep. Right to the very mind that God has given you. Laid out, laid out before you in that fashion that makes it absolutely clear that you are favored when others are passed by. You are favored to hear the truth and be acquainted with it and understand it. And therefore, familiar with it. Familiar with what it has to say. Familiar with its precepts and its commands and its directions. In fact, if you read here, you will notice something remarkable that Moses says in these words. Look at verse number 14. But the word is very nigh unto thee. Listen to this. In thy mouth. Then it says, and in thy heart. Now just note those things. It has come so close to you, it's right in your mouth. What does that mean? It means that there are people sitting here in this house tonight who have memorized the Word of God and it's in your mouth. You sat at your mother's knee at your teacher's chair and you were taught verse after verse after verse and you memorize them. And therefore, here is this issue of personal closeness with the gospel of Jesus Christ, favored to have it brought to you, familiar with it, so much so that it's right in your own mouth. And therefore, how awful, how terrible it will be if you perish with the Word of God actually in your mouth, in your heart in that sense, on your tongue. You can quote verses. You might even attempt to preach it. Yeah, my friend, with all of that, go to hell. Be lost forever. I think of Balaam. You know what it says about Balaam a number of times? The Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth. The Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth. And the word that the Lord put in Balaam's mouth had to do with Jesus Christ. And Balaam was moved by it. Because when that word was put in Balaam's mouth and God showed Balaam wonderful things about the promised Messiah, you know what, you know what uh, Balaam said? Let me die the death of the righteous. 
and let my last end be like his. But how did Balaam die? What were the circumstances? Balaam died, as you will find in Numbers, and even in Joshua. He died on a battlefield resisting God and his people. And yet God had put his own word into Balaam's mouth. And Balaam was moved deeply to the depths of his soul by that word. He felt the force of it. It couldn't have come closer to him. It couldn't have been brought nearer to him. And yet Balaam So I want you to think very carefully about that. God's word has been lodged in your mind, put into your mouth. All these thoughts that are here in these verses are true of you. And yet you will come to the same end and you will go to the same hell as Balaam if you do not obey what the Lord has to say. And that brings me to my final point because you notice here in these verses the prescribed call in the gospel. What does it say? At the end of verse number 12 there, it says that ye may hear and do it. And verse number 14, it says that thou mayest do it. And notice those words, that thou mayest do it. There is a call prescribed, the duty of obedience. You have heard it. It's been brought to you. It's been put in your mouth, placed before you clearly, plainly, unmistakably, the whole scheme of salvation. And what is the requirement of the sinner? What is the responsibility of the sinner? That you may do it, which means that you should obey it and believe it and act upon it. Here is the duty of the sinner. In order to escape the wrath of God and be saved for eternity, there is something to which you need to give your attention. You have rejected that word placed before you, put into your mind and your heart and your soul. Up to this moment you have rejected it. And God is calling on you tonight once more to come to the Savior. You know, in verse number 14, in contrast with the verses 12 and 13 where you read that ye may hear it and do it, it says in verse 14 that thou mayest do it. The word that ye may hear it, is left out in verse 14. God changes here what he's saying through Moses. So twice he says that ye may hear it and then do it. But then when you come to verse 14, he simply says that thou mayest do it. Why, why is that? You know what God is saying to you, sinner? You have heard enough. There's nothing more to tell you. What's upon you now is your duty to believe. Repent of your sin. Turn to Christ. 
and thereby escape the wrath that will surely engulf your soul if you fail. That thou mayest do it. That is, see that you're a lost sinner, you're guilty before God's law. Recognize that Christ's work saves. And then obey the call, the prescribed call on the gospel, that thou mayest do it. And when does God call upon men in terms of the time to do it, to obey, to respond, to come to Christ? When should you do that? And the answer, of course, is always in the Bible, in this fashion, behold, no, is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not some other moment. And you know why? Because you have no guarantee or certainty that you will see another day or you'll sit in another gospel meeting. The Lord calls on you to come to Jesus Christ tonight. That's what those words signify. You've heard enough, sinner. You don't deserve to hear any more anyhow. But you've heard enough. And now it's time to do something. It's time to move. Flee to Christ. Seek Him. Trust Him. Believe on Him. And receive from Him all that will save you reconcile you to God and bring to you everlasting life. Will you take that step? Young man, young woman, older individual, and even going back to the other end of the spectrum, little boy or girl, will you obey God tonight? You've heard and you've heard and you've heard again. Now's the time to take that step to Christ. Let us bow in prayer before the Lord in these closing moments. Let's just prayerfully, reverently, quietly wait before the Lord ere the meeting is closed and the benediction is pronounced and you may go your way. My dear friend, it's time to seek the Lord, time to come. And I urge you to come tonight. I'll be here. I can help you with these matters. Speak to me and seek the Lord while he may be found. And may God give you grace to come. And I pray, Lord, that Thou wilt move, that the Spirit of God will descend, that a work will be done, that hearts will be touched, and the Lord will come near, and blessed times will be known as the Word of God brings forth fruit, and Christ is glorified when He sees of the travail of His soul. O Lord, come and do these things, we pray. Give sinners grace and help thy people to understand even more and more clearly what they have in Christ, what the Lord has done for them. And may they go away with grateful hearts, rejoicing 
in Christ Jesus. Hear and answer prayer in parts of thy blessing. And here is we ask for the Savior's sake and for his eternal praise.